Hey, I'm Kimberly. And I'm Summer. And this is The Kids Are In Bed. We are two new moms who just had babies in 2020. During that time, we leaned on each other, our limited community, and the internet. We want to share our experiences and knowledge with you guys and hopefully entertain you a little. What better time to discuss babies, sex, pregnancy, and just life than when the kids are in bed. And today we have a special guest. We have Nicole Jacobsma joining us today. Hey, Nicole. Hi, how are you? Good. Thank you so much for joining us. Yes, we're so excited. And today we're going to talk about a topic that isn't talked about very often. And I know I will personally be learning a lot. Yeah. So I'm really excited. Great. Yes. Um, So, Nicole, I know you and Summer know each other from years ago. Oh, my gosh. It has been years and years. College College. days. Yeah. (laughs) And this is the first time that I'm meeting you. So I want to know just a little bit about you. Do you mind, like, just telling me a little bit of you and your life story and just kind of where you're at now in your life? Yeah, sure. So um, my name's Nicole. Uh, I'm 27 (laughs) years old. I live in Central California, just about an hour south of um, you guys, you wonderful hosts. Um, I'm I'm married. So I married my husband in 2015, um, although we've been together since we were 14 years old. Um, We were high school sweethearts. And so um, kind of grew up a little bit together and got married in 2015 and now it's 2021. And that's kind of, um, along the way we've, um, both, you know, gone to college, gotten our careers started. I'm an English teacher. Um, I teach high school freshmen and juniors and I love it so much. It was definitely like a calling that I'd never expected to have because I didn't go to school to be a teacher. And, um, then I ended, just ended up doing that's where I ended up. And I, I love it. And I throw myself into it. And I'm really excited. We finally got our kids back last week after a year of being closed from COVID. So it's nice to kind of be back and having some purpose again. Yeah. Yeah. Having some face-to-face interaction. Yeah. So tell us a little bit. I know that you're our special guest for a special reason. So tell us a little bit more about your, you know, your special reason why you're here. Your health journey. Um, I guess I was supposed to talk about that in my intro, but <laughs> um, so I'm I'm here today to talk about endometriosis, which is a disease um, where the tissue that's similar to but not the same as the lining that grows in your uterus, but it grows outside of your uterus and um, around your pelvic cavity. It can grow on different organs. Um, It's most commonly found just on the pelvic organs, like your um, uterus, your ovaries, on the um, pelvic wall, your... um, your bladder, your bowels, um, but it has been found in other places too, like on your diaphragm and your lungs. Um, oh, if there's wow. even in rare cases has been in like the brain. Um, oh, wow. So it can be actually all over the place, although that's like pretty rare for that right. to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I was only, I was diagnosed with it officially less than a year ago, but you, can, you know, kind of hindsight is twenty twenty, and <laughs> I've been dealing with these symptoms pretty much my whole life. Like I would say before I got my first period, Mm -hmm. when I was 12 years old, I was dealing with these symptoms and I I didn't even know it. Yeah. What are the symptoms of endometriosis? 
So they vary. And that's one thing about endo is, and we call it endo for short. Um, yeah. <laughs> one thing about endo is that you can have no symptoms at all. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can have some of the symptoms or all of the symptoms. And that's one of the reasons why um, it's so hard to diagnose and why a lot of women just like think they don't have it because they don't, they're not, they may not be the textbook endo patient. Mm-hmm. But um, kind of the textbook endo patient would be someone who has um, really, really painful periods. Like you need a lot of painkillers to if, if painkillers pain work at all to yeah. make you okay to go to work on those days. Mm. Um, heavy periods, painful intercourse, um, bloating. Bloating is a really big one that a lot of people don't realize is an endo symptom. And uh, we could, endo, endometriosis um, patients often call it endo belly because mm. oh, wow. um, it's kind of, it's just a thing that we have. Yeah. <laughs> um, and is that only when you're on your period or is it all the time? It's pretty much all the time. It's mostly when I eat certain foods. Okay. So like, and, and it'll be different. It'll be worse at different times in my cycle. But like if I um, eat like gluten, I, I remember there's one time I had a beer and we were at the coast mm-hmm. and I literally made my husband pull into a gas station and buy Tums and, um, and gas X because I like was in so much pain after drinking oh. one beer. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And that's, that's the endo belly just flaring up and it can flare up at different times. And sometimes yeah. it's predictable. Sometimes it's not. Um, right. Other symptoms would be like random pelvic pain or pain with ovulation, um, mm. painful bowel movements, or even like urinating can be painful, mm-hmm. which sounds gross. We're going into gross things, but. It's no, a, go it's for not it. <laughs> Get into um, it all. <laughs> yeah. Um, fatigue. And then the big one that a lot of women don't know, and this is the reason why a lot of women end up getting diagnosed, is because of infertility. So endometriosis mm-hmm. can cause infertility. Um, it's only about 20 to 40% of endometriosis patients do have inter- infertility. So just because you have endo doesn't mean you're going to be infertile. Or if you're right. infertile, that doesn't mean you have endo. Um, right. But it's it's definitely one of the big symptoms. And a lot of times women don't put the pieces together until they, they get off the birth control pill when they're in their late 20s or 30s and all of a sudden can't have a baby. Right. Um, yeah, which is what happened to me in my case. Okay. So I know that you said that you recently just got your diagnosis of endometriosis, but you've been dealing with it since you've been 12. Like, how has your health journey kind of gone? And I mean, I know you said like some people, they just don't know that they have endometriosis because the different symptoms. But how did you figure out that that's what you had? And why does it take so long, not just for you, but for other women? Why does it take so long to find that diagnosis? Yeah. And I'm definitely the the norm in it took me, you know, over 12 years to get diagnosed. Yeah. Um, and on average, it takes seven to 10 years for women to be diagnosed with endometriosis. Um, when I was young, you know, I had painful periods when I was a teenager, but I was able to control them with, you know, ibuprofen, Advil. And so I kind of just thought it was normal. You know, it's, they mm-hmm. tell you periods hurt, which actually they're not supposed to hurt. Right. Um, and so, um, I just always thought that was normal. And then when I was 21, I was about to get married and I went on hormonal birth control 
And um, I never really felt very good on it. I know a lot of women who have that experience who don't feel really good on it. Um, But obviously the period pain went away because Mm. I was on birth control and that happens. Um, Mm. But I had a lot of weird symptoms while I was on it. There was this one weird time I like randomly one evening developed this like terrible pain in my lower right abdomen. Mm. It was so bad that like I, I, after about an hour or two, I couldn't even walk. Like it hurt so bad. Um, And my husband ended up taking me to the ER and they did, they thought I had my, first they thought my appendix was bursting. Then they thought my ovary twisted and they were doing all these like scans and everything on me and like nothing was showing up, nothing. Which um, now later being a part of like different online endometriosis communities, I found out that like, that's actually kind of a similar story. A lot Mm, of endo women have that kind that same story where you end up in the ER, they can't find anything wrong with you. They send you home with pain, um, pain medication, which is what they did with me. Um, Mm -hmm. So about a year after that incident, I, I ditched the pill because I was like, I'm done with this. Mm-hmm. And I found um, kind of fertility awareness-based methods. And so uh, I was still like, I didn't wasn't ready to have a child yet. And so mm-hmm. I learned how to chart my cycles. And that's really where things really started changing for me because I started seeing um, in my chart a lot of um, these symptoms that were coming back now that I was off the pill. And I was seeing them on my chart. I was having these like, long, heavy periods that were showing up on my chart. Um, I was having like pelvic pain at different times in my cycle. And I started looking at it and going like, I don't think this is right. Mm. And so I went to my OB-GYN and was like, I have this chart. Will you look at it? Because I don't think, I think something's wrong. And she completely blew me off. And that's what happens to a lot of women. Like, you know, you're like, this is something's wrong with me. And they're like, no, there's nothing wrong with you. You were, you're fine. Um, I was having migraines the day after I ovulated every month and which is weird. And I was like, this is definitely hormonal because it's the day after I ovulate, (laughs) which I knew because I was charting. Yeah. Uh, And so, um, that was the only thing she kind of responded to. And she was like, oh, that's weird. Take magnesium. And then like walked out the door and Mm. nope. She never mentioned, you know, maybe this could be endometriosis. Maybe you might have a hard time conceiving. Maybe we should do some tests. She never said any of that. Um, truth be told, she's not my doctor anymore. (laughs) 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 Um, so at that point I knew I needed to do something. Um, and so I started doing research and I found online, um, I found NAPRO technology, which I don't know if you've ever heard of it before. No. Mm-mm. So NAPRO, NAPRO technology, it stands for natural procreative technology. Um, and it's a health science based out of the Pope Paul VI Institute in um, Omaha at the Creighton University. And um, it basically is a health science that works cooperatively with the woman's body to look for underlying causes um, of specifically like women's health and reproductive issues. So instead of just giving a woman birth control and saying, oh, you have painful periods, here's some birth control to make it better. Mm -hmm. Or instead of saying, oh, you have infertility, um, I guess you're just going to do IVF. NAPRO technology finds the underlying root cause and does kind of that work to to figure it out and to actually treat you. And Mm -hmm. when I found that, it works alongside a certain method of charting, which, Mm -hmm. so I had to learn how to do this new method of charting. I found a NAPRO doctor um, within about an hour 
hour away and um, started seeing her. And at my very first appointment, she was like, this could be endometriosis. Um, but looking, looking at my charts and everything, she, that was, she brought it up within the first meeting. She said, we might have to do surgery soon. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, at the time I wasn't ready for that. I was like, what do you mean surgery? Like, I just met you. I'm here because I can't have a baby. Like we need to, Mm -hmm. you know, we, we need to, we need to do other things first. And, um, but she was right. Like within six months later, I was having surgery and that's where I was, um, officially diagnosed with endometriosis. Mine is moderate, so, um, could be worse, could be better. Um, but honestly, the amount of endometriosis has nothing to do with the amount of pain that you're in and also doesn't necessarily correlate to infertility either. That's what's weird mm-hmm. about endo oh, is, mm-hmm. um, it could be a lot, you could have a lot and have no pain, or you could have like a little tiny bit bit and not be, and be completely infertile and not be able to, um, and have lots of painful periods. Mm-hmm. So, um, the amount you have doesn't necessarily correlate, I guess. Yeah. Is that, um, so you started going to that doctor because you realized that you weren't able to conceive naturally or was it because of that pain that you were experiencing? It definitely, the motivating factory was that I couldn't conceive. Um, and that's kind of like what brought me to her, um, and Mm -hmm. to seek it out and the motivation behind it. But, um, it was definitely, you know, on my mind that I was having these weird cycles and that I was having this pain. Um, and so I'm really thankful that I did go this route because I feel like she's actually, my doctor's actually trying to, um, provide treatment for me. Whereas I don't think like IVF would have worked for me had I not known that I had Mm -hmm. endometriosis because I might not have known that and jumped into IVF and, that wouldn't have worked. <laughs> so, right. um, yeah. So do you know, cause I'm not, I don't know, but like, how does the endometriosis necessarily, um, affect infertility? Is it the tissue that messes with it or how does that look? Oh, good question. So from what I know, remember, I'm not a doctor, I'm a teenager. <laughs> so, um, but I've done, you know, a lot of research on this. Um, one great thing about NAPRO technology is they really educate you about mm-hmm. what's going on. Um, but the way that it affects infertility, it can kind of happen in a couple ways. First is like anatomy. Um, when, um, so your endometrial lesions, these, um, these like this tissue that's growing, we call them lesions. Mm-hmm. And um, when they... When they form, they can form um, every month when you like have your period or whatever, mm-hmm. your, um, the lesions that are outside of your uterus is also going to respond to the changes in hormones. Mm-hmm. So um, that, that sets your body off with an inflammatory response, which can end up causing scar tissue, which is where a lot of the pain comes from and also can definitely mess up your anatomy a little bit when mm-hmm. like, you know, your ovaries are sticking to your uterus or something like that because there's scar tissue between it. Um, that can definitely cause infertility. Another thing, and what I think is is still kind of what I'm battling the most is just the overall inflammation. It's a very inflammatory disease. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, yeah, it's it's because it's constantly being um, responsive to your hormones. And so, um, and it's, it's tissue that's not supposed to be there. So your body's trying to fight it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anytime there's inflammation, it makes it harder to conceive. Um, it can affect, affect like conception. It can affect implantation. So um, that's definitely what I'm, I'm battling right now is now that I've had the surgery, now that I've had my lesions removed, 
trying to reduce that inflammation. Mm. Do you know how common endometriosis is? Like, how common is it? And then, you know, yeah, how common is it? <laughs> it's um, it's actually one in 10 women, yeah. which oh, is wow. a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's one in 10. Um, and like I said, 20 to 40 percent of those women will go on to have infertility issues. Um, so it's it's a large population of women, but it just and that's why it's crazy. It takes so long to diagnose. Um, so, and, and another reason why I think that, um, a lot of times painful periods are kind of normalized and said that they're normal because one in 10 women maybe experience them. (laughs) So, right. Right. I don't know if you know the answer to this, but I'm curious. So I've had family members and like even myself have PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome, but I've had family members who have had that. And then I've had family members with endo. And so is there ever like a lot or not ever? Is there a commonality between the two or ever ever like a misdiagnosis that you know of? I don't know if there's misdiagnosis. I know they're often diagnosed together, um, mm. especially, you know, by infertility clinics yeah. and, and stuff because it can be two different factors. They have a lot of similar symptoms. Um, they involve kind of the same hormones. Um, endometriosis can cause hormonal, um, imbalances. Mm-hmm. Um, and so does PCOS. So the, I think they can kind of like, they, they kind of can, kind, yeah, they can kind of go hand in hand. And, and I do know people that have both of them. Um, oh dear. I, I don't have PCOS, but I do know several people who do have both. Right. Cause I was wondering, and I know the common thing for that is also here's a birth control pill. Yes. That makes, that makes <laughs> yeah. crazy. Is it genetic? Um, it, it can be. So my grandmother actually had it, which is the reason that I heard of it. First of all, mm. I heard lots of stories from women who they've never even heard of the disease before until their doctor suggests it. Yeah. Um, but my grandmother had it and um, her doctor back, you know, 40 years ago, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, kept, um, they blew her off, blew her off. And when they finally, um, she had a hysterectomy and they finally did the hysterectomy. And the first thing her doctor said when she woke up was, I am so sorry. I didn't believe you because wow. there was endometriosis everywhere. Oh, um, wow. so thank goodness that's not what happened to me because, yeah. um, and I was able to find, you know, NAPRO technology to help me figure out the source of this, um, before it got to that point. Um, but yeah, my grandmother had it. My mom also had it a little bit, but the funny thing is, is neither of them ever had any for infertility issues. Mm -hmm. And so when, you know, I started conceiving, I was a little naive thinking that it was going to happen for me because my grandma had endometriosis. So it'd be like, even if I have it, I'll be fine. Um, but you know, that, it fits right in with that 20 to 40% number. <laughs> if right. my grandma, me and my mom all have it, there'd be one of us. Right, <laughs> so. right, right. That's yeah. crazy. And how has that, like, your battle with endometriosis and infertility, like, going hand in hand, like, how have you dealt with that? Or how have you, you know, worked through that piece? Or have you? Or have you, you gotten <laughs> support? Or, like, what does that look like for you? Um, so I will say infertility is definitely like the hardest thing I have ever gone through in my Mm -hmm. life. Um, 
the the year before I started realizing that I wasn't conceiving, my mom and my grandmother both had cancer at the same time. My mm-hmm. mom had breast cancer and my grandmother had colon cancer. Um, so it's kind of been, you know, a couple years of having a lot of really hard things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's one thing that I've done is um, really just made sure that I, I talk about it and I don't just try and keep it to myself because... Yeah. Um, it's really easy to do because infertility is so isolating, especially when you're surrounded by, you know, friends. I'm in my late twenties. All of my friends are either pregnant or are having babies right now. Right. And, um, it's really easy to feel left behind. Um, right. and so I, I really appreciate my friends who have like kind of gone out of their way and who to include me, but also understood when I don't want to be included mm-hmm. as well. Um, because that changes some, sometimes I, I'm really sad that I don't get the chance to like go hang out with some little kids. And then some days I don't want to see little kids at all. <laughs> and right. so, um, I have some amazing friends, amazing family members. Um, my husband's family is, um, his cousins were all really, really close and they all know what I'm going through and, um, have been really supportive with it. So that's been really helpful. Um, but overall, I mean, infertility and endo coming together, um, it, it's made it at least for me to be able to kind of target what I'm doing. Um, a lot of times with infertility, there's all kinds of random advice out there. There's like, mm-hmm. you can try, like, you can score the internet and find all kinds of weird things, like wear socks every day of the month, like mm-hmm. weird things. <laughs> and so, um, it, but at least having endometriosis, I, I can know what to target. Um, mm-hmm. I know that it's an inflammatory disease, so I can focus on having an anti-inflammatory diet, um, which means giving up gluten and dairy. And gluten's not so hard, but dairy makes makes me really sad because I That's really love cheese. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cheese. Oh. Um, but at, at least I have, you know, I, I do feel a lot better, um, yeah. on this, on anti-inflammatory diet. And so I guess that's a good sign if anything is. How long have you been on that diet? Um, I gave up gluten about a year ago and okay. immediately noticed a huge difference in the bloating because, yeah. um, that was, that was the one thing that like, after I found out that that was an endo symptom, I was like, Oh yep, I have that all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so I gave up gluten and that was way better. Um, and then probably in November I gave up, um, dairy for the most part. I, I cheat a little bit with the dairy because I just, it's the cheese. Cheese, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but I've been trying to, uh, to be more strict on it lately because my doctor has, been looking at my charts lately and saying like, yeah, this inflammation's ramping up, which I had COVID about two months ago. So I'm thinking that might've been part of it. Um, right. but, um, I'm d- taking a lot of turmeric right now because that's supposed to be really anti-inflammatory yeah. eating lots of salmon. <laughs> yeah. So does your doctor do tests? Like you just said like tests and levels are going up. So do you do blood work every so often or how do you know, you know, all of those things? Um, so a lot of it is just the, the charting that I do. So using the Creighton model charting, it's an internationally recognized and standardized way of charting your cycles so that doctors trained in NAPRO technology can read your charts. Mm -hmm. Um, so for me, she was, I was having a lot of like, you, you mark when you're having pelvic pain. So I was, she was noticing the pelvic pain throughout my cycle and was like, this is showing me that there's some inflammation here. Um, 
So that's, that's where that conversation came from. But I do get a lot of hormone levels checked because that's one thing NAPRO does too, is they, they do a lot of, um, of monitoring hormones because they want to make sure that you're being supplemented with the right thing. So I'm also on some other supplements like progesterone, cause I'm a little low in that, um, which is probably due a little bit to the endometriosis because it can mm-hmm. cause the hormone imbalances. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. The charting, I think, is very... So do you chart every single day or is it just when you're on your period? Um, so I chart every single day. Um, actually, my husband does it. So oh. that's oh. one amazing thing that um, we found going off birth control is that both of us are involved in our family planning It's not just like me taking a pill and having all the expectations of not having a baby on me. I love that. Yeah. So when we first started charting, actually, we were still trying to avoid. Mm -hmm. We didn't need to do that. (laughs) We thought we were really good at charting. But um, because you can actually chart to avoid pregnancy as well as to achieve one. And that's what's nice about it, too, is um, you don't have to like be playing with your hormones, going on and off pill all the time um, when you chart your cycles. And we started off with the symptothermal method, which is where you take your temperature every day and you monitor your progesterone that way. And you also monitor um, cervical mucus every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when I found Nat- Matt Napro, I had to switch to the Creighton model and they don't do the temperature, which I think is good for me personally, because um, the temperature thing kind of made me a little bit crazy and like, over like type a about it um so it was i needed to let go of that a little bit but that's with charting there are so many different methods um just as long as you find one that's scientifically based there's going to be one that works for you Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. wow very cool i love that um you mentioned earlier about like the friends being supportive and stuff like that I was wondering, do you have any advice on having that conversation with friends or like if you have someone that you know have infertility issues and then you become pregnant or have a kid, like how to have a healthy conversation with that person, is there any advice you could give? Yeah. So I think if, if you're the person who's having, who's going through infertility or has endometriosis and thinking that conceiving may be hard for you, um, I think communication with the people that you love is really important because people don't know what to say to you. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't know if you want them to say something or if they don't, if you don't want them to say something. Um, I've had some really great friends ask, um, they might say, Hey, is it okay if I talk to you about your fertility stuff? And that's really helpful because that gives me the option to say yes or no. So if you're the, someone who is, you know, talking to someone else about it, um, who has infertility, then that's a really great way. If you want to start the conversation is to ask them if they want to talk about it. Um, Mm -hmm. and it gives them the option. So, um, that's, that's been really helpful for me is to keep open communication um, I kind of went through a period over last summer where I think it was like the COVID baby boom. Everyone mm-hmm. was getting pregnant. And I finally got to a point where I just texted everyone and was like, hey, if you guys all, if anyone gets pregnant, please just text me. Like, mm-hmm. don't have right. this like crazy reveal for me because I, I'm, I can be happy for you, but I'm really sad for me. And so yeah. I need to take a moment to grieve my thing before I can be fully happy for you. Um, and and since I said that, you know, two months later, I had another close cousin who 
that's what she did. She actually texted me the day that she found out and told me so that I had enough time before she announced to everyone else to process it. And honestly, it made it easier to process just knowing Mm -hmm. that someone like was thinking of me and that knew my struggle and wasn't like, wasn't just expecting me to be happy for them. It made it easier. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like sometimes people like tiptoe around things around you and trying not to hurt your feelings? Yeah. And, and that's what I think kind of makes it so isolating sometimes is that, um, either someone is saying something dumb, like trying Mm -hmm. to give me advice. Um, any, any line that starts with just is a bad, (laughs) just don't say it, just adopt, just relax. Like none of those are good. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, and so they're either doing that or they're not saying anything at all, which, um, especially women who, you know, have kids and a lot of times are all they're talking about is their children and being moms and stuff and, and not finding a way to connect with me and what I'm going through. Um, because I know that, you know, as new moms, like you've got a lot going on and you've got a lot of struggles. Um, but so, so do I. (laughs) And so, Mm -hmm. um, and so that's, I found that really, um, that that's one way that I've felt supportive is when other women are finding ways to include me, um, are reaching out and, and asking me, you know, that first, that question is, do you, okay, do you want to talk about it? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then asking me questions and finding out what my experience is because it makes me feel like part of the group, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. I know that I've kind of shared with Summer, like, my son was born with a cleft lip and cleft palate. And so there are definitely times where I felt like people would tiptoe around and not say things to me or not want to reach out to me because they were scared of offending me or hurting my feelings. And so their lack of communication, like I felt like really hurt me by them like isolating me. But then other times other people would say things that was really rude and really ignorant. And that would hurt me too. And I think for me, it was like, depending on the day, like how I wanted to be approached changed. And so I think that was hard to explain to people. Like some days I want to talk about his cleft and I want to feel supported and I want to feel included. But other days I don't want you to talk about it or draw attention to it. I want to feel normal too. So is that something that you go through as well? That that totally describes um, what it's like. And, you know, especially like it, it can depend on the time of your cycle too. You know, if like <laughs> yeah. you're, a, you just took a pregnancy test and it was negative. Like, I don't want to talk about it. I just want yeah. a glass of wine. Right. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, yeah. And, um, but if, you know, that's why I think it's so important for just both sides to have that communication and to be like accepting to of whatever the answer is. So, mm-hmm. you know, if, if someone, you know, is brave enough to say, Hey, can I ask about infertility or can I ask about your son's cleft palate? Um, and you say no, that you know, they're, yeah. they're okay with that. And that yeah. they get to move on to another topic. Um, but if they say, if you say yes, then to, that's an invitation into the conversation an invitation into a relationship. Um, that's, that's more, it's a more beautiful relationship because it's open and honest and no one feels isolated. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think you kind of touched on it earlier, but you kind of said there are certain things like don't ever say these things. They're not helpful. Like I have phrases that like if anybody ever tells me like, oh, it's just cosmetic. Oh, he'll be fine. Like that's a trigger for me because no, it's not just cosmetic and no, it's not just a 
one and done thing? Do you have certain trigger phrases? And like, what are some things not to say that you should never say to anybody with either endometriosis or infertility? And what are some phrases that are helpful to say? Like what phrases feel supportive to you? Um, so I would say as far as endometriosis goes is validating that person's pain. Like if they're saying Mm. that they have, you know, really painful periods or they can't, or or they're struggling and they're in pain, like believe them. Um, because I think that's one thing that women with endo have learned to, um, is just to kind of shrug off their pain a lot. Um, actually when I woke up from my surgery that what my doctor told my husband while I was still waking up was that, um, she kind of said she has endometriosis and, um, it was moderate and I was actually surprised she wasn't complaining more. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's because we, we, as women, you know, we just, we don't complain about it. Um, so if a friend is complaining about some symptoms and believe her and support her and validate her, um, find ways to kind of make life easier for her. So mm-hmm. such as like, I have, um, some really close cousins that we do dinner a lot and, um, they're really good about, uh, about the, the diet because I can't mm-hmm. have dairy. I can't have gluten. That's really inconvenient for other people to cook for me. Um, okay. and so, um, but to have friends who reach out and be like, Hey, what do you want me to make? What can you eat? And to be really accommodating about that, because I am, it, it's so helpful for me and makes me feel like I don't have to bring my whole entire meal to their house, or I don't have to decline an invitation because I can't eat there. I can be part of the table breaking bread with everybody else. Um, as far as infertility goes though, um, resolve.org is a really great website to go to that has a lot of information about triggers for, um, people going through infertility. There are lots of things that, um, are, are difficult and different things are difficult at different seasons. Like right now, one thing in particular, that's difficult for me is people talking about how easy it is, um, to plan their families. And I don't know why that is right now. I think it's kind of part of infertility and part of grieving infertility is, um, the fact that you you don't get to choose, you lost the ability to plan your family. You don't get to um, say, you know, in two years, um, we're going to have another one or um, we're going to, you know, like we're going to have four kids. Like, you don't, you lose all of that because mm-hmm. you're just like desperately trying to have one. And mm-hmm. so when I have people talking to me about like, oh yeah, we, um, we just, you know, popped out the first one. And I told my husband, no, um, he wants another one, but I told him, no, maybe in another couple years, like, mm-hmm. it's just, it kind of is triggering for me. Cause I'm like, not everybody gets to just choose that. Like not everyone yeah. has that ability. Um, for me, I, it's taught me a lot that, you know, every child is a gift from God. Every child belongs to God. Um, and so that that's definitely a lot of lessons that can be learned from infertility. But um, as far as triggers go, resolve.org is a great place to go. Awesome. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. So you said resolve.org. Is there any organizations or anything that we can kind of look into um, for support for people who do have it? Or I know, was it last month was endometriosis month? Yeah. Right? Endometriosis awareness month in March. Yeah. 
So the number one place that I would send people to if they think they might have endometriosis or want to learn more about it is um, it's called Nancy's Nook. And I don't know if it started this way, but the way I found it at least is it's a Facebook group. Mm -hmm. And um, it's um, started by this woman named Nancy Peterson, who was a nurse that worked with a surgeon who did um, endometriosis surgeries. And from there, she started gathering like this database and made it, it was a Facebook group database of all kinds of research. Um, She also um, created a way to vet surgeons because endometriosis is a surgical disease. The only way to treat it is through surgery. The only way to diagnose it is through surgery. Hmm. And um, so a lot of doctors are not trained in treating diagnosis. Most doctors are not trained in treating um, endometriosis. So Nancy's Nook um, is a great place to go if, um, because there's a lot of, um, she has a list of these vetted um, surgeons that mm. are all over the country that you can go to uh, and kind and learn whether learn about endometriosis or be able to make an appointment with a specialist, um, which is really great. And so that's called Nancy's Nook. She also has a website, which I think is nancysnookendo.com, I think, Mm, um, that also has a lot of that same information on it. Um, I would also say to go look at the Pope Paul VI Institute, which is um, where NAPRO technology is from. Um, it's again, based out of Creighton university in Omaha, Nebraska. And, um, so you can find out more about NAPRO there as well as find, um, find out where there are NAPRO doctor trained doctors all over the United States. Um, a lot of women fly all the way to Omaha for treatment just because the Pope Paul VI Institute has done a lot of research on treating endometriosis, especially treating endometriosis in a way that preserves fertility because right. not all of, um, not all surgeons specializing in endometriosis, um, are focused on also making sure that you can still have kids. <laughs> so, Right. I know for my cousin, it was hysterectomy was the answer. Um, she had had a kid luckily, but that was the answer was like, well, you're going to have to have a hysterectomy if you want it to really go away, which is crazy. Like let's take away your whole organ and then we'll, it's just, that's your only option. But, and that was something that you just kind of touched on in explaining that you said that the only way to really diagnosis, diagnose it is through surgery. Mm -hmm. So that's the only way there's like suspected symptoms and then they have to, go in surgically and say, oh, yes, it is, or oh, no, it's not. Exactly. So, um, I mean, that's what, with my doctor, she had all these symptoms that suspected it, and then I gave up gluten, and I felt better, and she's like, oh, yeah, then that probably is it. Um, mm. But you can't con- you can't confirm diagnosis until you go in. It's a laparoscopic surgery, so um, I have one incision through my belly button, and then two that's, like, just on, like, my bikini line. Mm-hmm. And um, so... and. She was able to remove it. Also, she used a CO2 laser um, to excise it, which is another really important thing to know about endo is that there's um, two leading ways that doctors will remove it. One is called ablation, which is where they basically just like burn off the endometriosis. Mm -hmm. And the other one is excision, which is where they cut out the endometriosis. And the important thing to know is ablation is not good. Um, Mm. it, it's basically kind of like mowing the lawn, but the weeds are still there and the weeds are Mm. just going to keep going. If you think of the endometriosis, like the root of the weed ablation is just like mowing the lawn, whereas excision is like pulling the weeds. So that's why it's so hard to find a doctor that is trained 
and specializes in removing endometriosis is because they have to be trained in that excision technique. Whereas most like OB guides that you're going to go to are going to use ablation. And that has like a huge recurrence rate. I'm not going to give a number because I don't know the exact one, but um, that, that it typically comes back with ablation. Wow. And so once you have the endometriosis removed, do you have a second surgery or like once it's gone, it's gone? Um, So it's considered something that is, it's considered an incurable disease. So it can't be cured necessarily, although excision, really good excision um, will really help with a lot of the symptoms, Mm -hmm. which I will say with mine, um, I have had, you know, I don't have any ovulation pain anymore, which Mm -hmm. mine was so bad. I was like, every time I ovulated, I was curled up on a bed. Like it was, it was pretty bad. Um, and I don't have that anymore. My periods have gone, I've gone from taking 800 milligrams of ibuprofen to like two to 400. So there has been a lot of improvement for me. Um, my doctor, when she did um, my surgery, um, mine was bad enough that she, she thought that I might need another one. So, um, some doctors, you know, they'll go in um, laparoscopically and look. And if you have it, they'll um, just schedule you for a different surgery to do excision. Mm-hmm. Um, some okay. doctors will do excision at the same time. It, it kind of depends. You just don't want a doctor doing ablation on you. Um, right. My doctor used the CO2 laser to do excision um, on me, but um, she does. She is also skilled and trained in the Da Vinci robot that they use um, in surgery. So if um, it comes back, if I don't conceive, um, we may have to go in again and with the robot and look. And it, it does come back for some women. Um, sometimes, you know, like it, you can still have the bloating. You can still have some of the symptoms, even if it's been um, really removed, removed really well. Um, mm-hmm. Because it's not considered a disease that can be completely cured. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's next in your health journey? Like you've had your surgery, you are doing the different elimination diets. Like what, what's next? Um, so for me right now, um, we kind of just started a new medication for me as far as infertility goes. So still just working on it, trying to get my body, um, at a place that it can carry a pregnancy and is not all stressed out all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, don't tell me just to relax, but, right. um, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, just, um, trying to get myself, my body in a good place health wise, and also, um, using kind of some ovulation inducing medications to um, kind of help that make sure I have, I'm having really strong ovulations as far as infertility goes. Mm-hmm. Um, if I don't conceive within a year, another year, so I've, it's been almost a year since I had surgery. So a little okay. less than a year, she said a year to 18 months, okay. then um, we'll probably go in with the, the Da Vinci robot and, and do another surgery. My doctor doesn't think I'm going to need it. Um, so hopefully I do not. Um, but that's kind of what's next for me. I, I just, I, I'm really excited about how much diet has really helped and especially with the bloating. Um, And so I spend a lot of my time making uh, really fun recipes. I love to cook. And so I've learned them a lot of like really fun ways to make things without gluten and um, without dairy. And um, so that that's kind of been where I I do. I spend a lot of my time tonight. I spend like an hour on dinner every single night just because awesome. Maybe I think it would be really cool if you would be willing to share some of your recipes with us and we can post them and maybe we can even try them ourselves at home. 
Just, sure. to, just for I know I when I was uh, breastfeeding, I had to cut out dairy, and that was hard to do. And so, but I love to figure it out. Like I think that's really out of your comfort zone. We should do a cooking show. Cooking with Nicole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the funny thing is I don't really like vegetables that much, so I have to be creative <laughs> about the greens. <laughs> oh, I love oh, that. That's very cool. <laughs> I do have one question on a more serious note. Here it is. Ready? So you were talking about how Aaron, or your husband, has been super helpful with like the tracking and stuff like that. Um how has it been on your relationship? Because I know some couples have a really strained relationship with infertility and things like that. Um, is there any advice you could give to the partner or anything for them? Yeah, for sure. Um, it definitely can either strain or can strengthen your relationship. And sometimes it can do both in different ways. I would say with my husband and I, um, it definitely was very difficult at the beginning, especially when I started grieving a lot sooner than he did. Mm-hmm. Um, men, I think sometimes tend to compartmentalize things. And so he would, you know, we would go to a family function and all the kids would be running around screaming and we would go home and I would be crying because I don't have a kid that is running around screaming with them all. And he would be like, but we were just with our friends and didn't have those two things connected. Mm -hmm. Um, the same way that they were connected in my mind. And, um, so we struggled with that for a while. And, um, me feeling misunderstood and that he didn't care. But um, over time, he I think he learned how to communicate with me better and learned how um, to share like his feelings with me better. And I also learned um, to look for his feelings better and to see the different ways that he does um, grief infertility too because that's like the worst part is to feel like you're doing it alone Mm -hmm. and you want you want your partner to you don't want your partner to suffer but you want them you want them to understand your pain and to be with you on the journey um I would say now especially since starting treatment and going through NAPRO um we've definitely be gotten a lot better at communicating our doctor's so great she actually did like a little like coaching six weeks where, Mm. um, it was almost like therapy (laughs) for us. And, um, so she, she kind of gave us some, um, some tips and advice and stuff on, on communicating with each other and, um, how to frame infertility to make us stronger. But it, it was definitely a transition. It was harder before it got better. Right. Totally. Are there like Facebook support groups that you've joined that have been helpful to you or to your husband? Um, I definitely have, um, I'm, I'm Catholic. So uh, most of the fertility groups that I'm in are like Catholic trying to, to, to conceive groups, mm-hmm. um, or a cat, you know, I, there's even like a Catholic endometriosis when I'm in. And the reason I'm, I'm in those is because we have, a, there's a lot of like religious and moral, um, beliefs that we have about dealing with infertility. Mm -hmm. Um, So for example, like I'm not pursuing IVF. um, And part of the reason why is because of my church's teachings. Mm -hmm. And so um, a lot of the Facebook groups I'm in are, are Catholic because those women have the same experiences and beliefs as I do. Um, but there's also, you know, there's many, like I, I mentioned Nancy's Nook and that one is if you even suspect you have endometriosis, that's the one you should be in for sure. Okay. Um, and there's lots of other different ones as well online. Um, 
I would recommend if you're interested in charting, there is a podcast called The Hormone Genius that's kind of new. Um, and that is um, by a NAPRO doctor and a Creighton instructor. So they go over a oh, lot wow. of stuff about charting and how it can help um, you avoid pregnancy or achieve pregnancy and all the infertility stuff that can come with that too. Wow, very cool. Yeah, we'll definitely link those. If you, to wrap up, if you like had one piece of advice or multiple pieces of advice for someone who is kind of, either at the beginning of like a diagnosis or trying to figure that out or in the midst of everything, like what advice would you give? That's a tough one. I would say my, my biggest piece of advice would be to trust your gut mm-hmm. and when something is wrong, um, to advocate for yourself when something is wrong. Um, I spent you know, about a year going to doctors who... I felt like we're blowing off my symptoms. It was becoming a habit for me to cry in the car after doctor's appointments because I didn't feel listened to or believed. And it took me completely eliminating my entire team of doctors and finding a team of doctors who believed me Mm -hmm. and then who were able to diagnose me with a real disease that I had. Um, And so I, I would say that's probably my biggest piece of advice. Like believe yourself, trust yourself, advocate for yourself. Wow. That's great. I think that's really great advice. I'm like tearing up over here now. (laughs) Yeah, that was amazing. I think that's really great. Well, thank you so much for all your wisdom. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, I made you cry. (laughs) Oh, dear. No, I think it's really empowering because I think especially when you're dealing with something to advocate for yourself is hard Mm -hmm. to do. But I think it's really empowering because if you're not going to do it, no one's going to do it for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it just it prolongs the suffering and the not knowing and the feeling out of control. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. It's been so nice just to get to know you. And thank you so much for being so vulnerable and sharing your story with us. Thanks for having me. It was a really good, I think it was really healing too, to come on here and be able to to talk about it to a little bit wider of an audience. Yeah. And I think you really are going to help start a lot of conversation. I think I've definitely learned a lot, um, but also like if there's other people listening that even if a small piece of your story resonates with them, you know, that maybe that there's help or support or, you know, I think just in my own personal journey, like finding someone to connect to that feels even a little bit the way that you do is so relieving. So I, we are going to tag you. And so hopefully that there, there are people listening that, you know, can resonate with parts of your story. And I think just that connection is really, really empowering as well. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.